Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is attorney Luke Goodrich. He is vice president and senior counsel at Beckett. And for those of you who don't know, the Beckett tagline is Beckett Religious Liberty for All. Thanks for joining us today, Luke. Thanks for having me. I know probably a lot of people who listen probably already know about Beckett Law, but maybe you can talk a little bit about what you're doing and why it's so important, especially in today's climate. Sure. Beckett is the nation's leading law firm dedicated exclusively to protecting religious freedom and for doing it for people of all faiths. Uh, We've been around for over a quarter century have multiple Supreme Court victories for clients like the Little Sisters of the Poor and Hobby Lobby. Uh, We have Supreme Court cases going on right now, uh, cases on behalf of uh, Roman Catholic dioceses and archdioceses and and people of all faiths uh, all across the country. And it's important work because uh, America has a great tradition of religious freedom, certainly imperfect, uh, but one of the most free countries in the world when it comes to religious freedom, and we intend to keep it that way. Are you seeing, um, especially maybe with the new, and although it's only 100 or so days in, the new administration, are you seeing a renewed attack on religious freedom, or is it pretty much, you know, been a challenge for the last, you know, 10, 20 years? Well, it's it's been a challenge uh, for the last 10, 20, you know, 100 years, really, yeah. but the challenge is the challenges vary depending on the time period and depending on the administration as well. And so certainly with this new administration, there are new challenges. Uh, Just to give one example of something I'm working on today, uh, we're representing a Catholic hospital system called Franciscan Alliance and an association of Christian doctors. And uh, the Obama, uh, the Biden administration just announced that it's going to interpret the Affordable Care Act to require doctors and hospitals all across the country uh, to perform gender transition procedures. These are medical procedures for men who want to transition to living as women or vice versa. And that these religious doctors and hospitals will have to perform those procedures even when it violates their conscience and violates their experienced medical judgment because these procedures can be deeply harmful. And so uh, we're currently locked in litigation with the Biden administration over that rule. And that's just just one example of what I think is a broader phenomenon, uh, certainly more prominent recently, where traditional Catholic beliefs about life and about uh, marriage and human sexuality, you know, whereas they were uh, at least uncontroversial decades ago, if not widely held, are now increasingly viewed as a threat to modern culture. And if, if you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, or if you believe that our, our, the bodies that God has given us are good uh, and the gender that God has given us is good, those beliefs are increasingly viewed as a threat to progress in culture. And so we're increasingly seeing the government place pressure on those religious beliefs, and it's erupting in religious freedom conflicts and court. Speaking of that, and I do want to get into the, the court case uh, in Indianapolis, but how does, since you brought it up, and I was going to talk about this in a little bit, uh, in terms of forcing doctors and hospitals to perform uh, 
or really buy into this transgender ideology. How does the Supreme Court decision of Bostock versus Clayton County, uh, with Gorsuch, I think, writing the majority opinion, um, really give should give people pause? Because where you think this would be a slam dunk and we're not going to go down that road, when it comes to employment law, they've kind of opened that up, haven't they? The Bostock case you mentioned is about uh, employment law. So federal law prohibits discrimination in employment on the basis of sex. And for the first 30 to 50 years, every court in the country interpreted sex to mean the biological differences between male and female. But in recent years, uh, advocacy groups have pushed the idea that uh, discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity should also be covered by that law. And in Bostock, the Supreme Court agreed and said that if you terminate an employee for entering a same-sex marriage or for uh, undergoing a gender transition, uh, you have discriminated based on sex, and that violates federal law. And so that, that Bostock decision from the Supreme Court is what the Biden administration has invoked to penalize these uh, religious doctors and hospitals. And mm-hmm. uh, the way it's been framed is to say, like, hey, if you're a doctor, if you'll do a hysterectomy for a woman with uterine cancer, uh, but you won't do a hysterectomy for a woman who wants to transition to living as a man, you are discriminating uh, based on sex, based on gender identity, and the government can therefore punish you. And that obviously has you know, huge implications for the practice of medicine all across the country. Yeah, I mean, it really is a dangerous thing. And I remember when that decision uh, and Gorsuch writing the majority, you know, you think, wow, I think, you know, we got at least the Supreme Court that gets it. And then you see something like that. and You're like, uh oh, they just kind of opened Pandora's box and everybody's going to use that decision, you know, when it comes to employment law to fit whatever they want. So it is it is scary. And I'm glad there's people like you defending it because. I can just see this. I mean, it's going to end up going back to the Supreme Court at some point, and they're going to have to say, is there a line? The big issue, you mentioned employment cases, and we're working on uh, three cases right now on behalf of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. And, you know, like many dioceses across the country, uh, the Archdiocese operates many Catholic schools. And for decades, uh, Catholic schools have... uh, used what are called morals clauses in their employment contracts for teachers and for other school leaders. Uh, And these morals clauses, they're not unique to Catholics. I mean, they're um, movie studios and sports teams. I mean, they have morals clauses in their contracts. You know, if you're a major sports athlete and you engage in domestic violence, you can be fired from your team because of that morals clause violation. So these morals clauses have been common in contracts for decades. Uh, Catholic schools all across the country use them. And the Archdiocese of Indianapolis has had morals clauses in their contracts with teachers and other school leaders for many years. And they recently had uh, three different school employees, uh, two uh, leaders of the guidance department at Catholic schools and uh, a teacher, a language teacher at a Catholic high school. Uh, They entered same-sex unions in clear violation of the contracts that they signed and in violation of church teaching. Uh, And efforts at accompanying those employees and and working with them to come back in alignment with church teaching uh, were unsuccessful. And so 
their contracts were not renewed. And those teachers, uh, the, the teacher and the two guidance counselors have now sued uh, the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, uh, invoking that Bostock decision uh, that we just talked about uh, mm-hmm. and alleging that uh, the Archdiocese is violating state and federal law simply for asking teachers and other school leaders in Catholic schools to uphold Catholic church teaching. And those lawsuits, you know, they never would have gotten out of the gate a decade ago, uh, but because of Bostock and other recent developments, uh, those lawsuits have started to move forward and, and we're seeing them proliferate. Well, and you just had the one dismissed, I think, was Payne Elliott versus the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. And I believe that's the maybe the language teacher you were talking about. If, if I remember right, it kind of it went to the Indiana Supreme Court. They kind of knocked it down to a local court and then it got dismissed. Is that correct? Yeah, it's kind of bounced around the court system a bit, but the ruling we got last week was a great ruling. It, it dismissed the case in its entirety. And, you know, this is really the the issue we're going to see going forward where, you know, now that Bostock has sort of opened the floodgates to these cases, uh, Bostock involved a purely secular employer. And right. the Supreme Court said, hey, we're, we're not deciding today what's going to happen to religious employers. We We care about religious freedom. And that's going to need to be resolved in future cases. And so that's what we are litigating at the Beckett Fund right now is what is the scope of religious freedom protections for uh, churches and other religious organizations? And the basic argument is that the Constitution and federal laws like Title VII, federal employment laws, they protect a fundamental right of religious organizations to form religious communities around shared religious values. And that obviously includes, you know, a right to hire co-religionists. You know, for example, a Catholic school could say, we're only going to hire Catholics. And everybody would say, well, that's fine. You're allowed to hire people of the same faith. Uh, and and now we're, we're saying that needs to extend, not just to saying we'll hire only Catholics, but you can also say we'll hire people who conduct themselves in accordance with Catholic values because that's what we need to do in order to form a religious community. And so our arguments in these cases are that 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 freedom to form a religious community is protected. It's protected by the Constitution. It's protected by uh, statutory religious exemptions. And fortunately, in the in the Payne Elliott case uh, just last week, the, the court agreed with us and dismissed the teacher's lawsuit. Uh, the, other, the other two cases are still pending and and we're hoping for a good result there. But these are the types of issues in a in a post Bostock world that are going to have to get hammered out in the courts over the next few years. I guess eventually one of these cases is going to have to float up to the Supreme Court to really set the precedent because I mean at this point maybe you probably don't know because it's early, but it wouldn't be surprising if there's an appeal to this, right? And try to and try to get this to a higher level where they, you know, think they have a better chance of winning, right? That's right. There is a possibility of appeal. And I do think these issues will will eventually reach the Supreme Court. Uh, some of them already have. Uh, we've had a couple huge wins in the last few years at the Supreme Court, uh, a case called Hosanna Tabor in 2012, and a case called Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, just last year. 
mm-hmm. where we won uh, nine to zero and seven to two victories in, in Beckett fund cases at the Supreme Court. And, and those were cases where uh, the teachers were uh, teaching religion classes to the students. And the Supreme Court said, look, if you're teaching religion classes, uh, you just can't sue a religious school to get your job back. Uh, but it kind of left open the question, you know, what if you're not teaching religion classes? What if you're a language teacher? What if you're a guidance counselor? Uh, I think those decisions provide strong support to our arguments in these cases. Uh, but it's, it's, we simply have to, you know, litigate them to conclusion in, in the courts. Um, and another big case we have uh, right now at the Supreme Court, which uh, we could get a decision any day, is a case called Fulton versus the city of Philadelphia. And this is another uh, clash between uh, traditional Catholic beliefs about marriage and uh, increasing hostility to those beliefs on the part of the government. Uh, Our client is a woman named Sharon L. Fulton uh, and also Catholic Social Services. Uh, Sharon L. is a a foster mother. She's done that for decades. and, And to provide a loving home for foster kids, she partners with Catholic Social Services, uh, which has been doing this ministry in Philadelphia for over 200 years, longer than the state of than the city of Philadelphia has has ever been involved. And unfortunately, a couple years ago, the Philadelphia Inquirer uh, published a story highlighting the fact that Catholic Social Services doesn't do uh, foster care support for unmarried or same-sex couples. Uh, there are over you know, 20 other foster care agencies in the city that do do that, uh, but Catholic Social Services doesn't. Uh, they've never had a, a same-sex couple come to them and ask for that help. Uh, but nevertheless, the city of Philadelphia, when, when this article came, came out, uh, decided to shut down Catholic Social Services to cut off uh, its contract with them and not allow them to do foster care ministry in the city anymore. And so uh, we filed a lawsuit on behalf of Catholic Social Services, and it's now gone all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the the basic question that the Supreme Court is going to answer any day now is, uh, does it violate the Constitution for the government to say, we don't like this Catholic ministry's uh, beliefs and practices around marriage and sexuality, and so we're going to shut them down? So huge question with huge implications for Catholic ministries all across the country. Even other cases, right? You're even, even when you're talking about the hospitals and the doctors and, you know, every one of these, you know, can, can, can make or break what's going to happen down the road. That's why people need to understand how important it is uh, to get, you know, Supreme court justices that, that view the constitution uh, the way it was written, not that, you know, it's kind of outdated and we need to create our own. Yeah. And, and I think religious freedom can play a, a vital role in helping us navigate through this you know, sort of culture war over human sexuality. And the, the basic reality these days is that our, our country is deeply divided over questions of human sexuality and of marriage. And the question facing our society is, is the government going to pick one side of the debate on sexuality and crush everyone who disagrees, uh, which is, you know, and, and the ones most likely to be crushed are those who adhere to traditional view on marriage. Uh, right. Or is the government going to find a way to, you know, to let 
people with with deeply div, you know divided views and values live in relative peace and religious freedom uh, allows the government to do that to say look we understand there's disagreements here uh, but your beliefs you know catholic social services your beliefs and this ministry you've been doing for 200 years we need to respect that you have a fundamental right to operate in accordance with your religious beliefs and the government simply can't punish that or violate that well we all know the government you know and the sad part is you have a catholic president who uh you know doesn't follow any of the catholic social teachings and even in the you know Payne versus elliot case right the cathedral i think it was cathedral high school if i remember right but the high school didn't even want to fire these fire this guy uh, they were going to, they were, I think they were going to be, I think they were told that they could no longer call themselves Catholic. So they ended up doing it begrudgingly, but there's a lot of foxes in the hen house, even within the, the, the different faith communities, especially the Catholic church. So it's not a slam dunk to think, well, just cause they're Catholic or just cause they're this, they understand it. I mean, you have to battle kind of both ends. There is, you know, there are debates within the Catholic church, uh, right now about, what sorts of standards should Catholic schools have for their teachers and for their other school leaders? And there, there are debates within other faith communities on, on various issues. The, the problem is when the government gets dragged into those debates. I mean, those debates need to be resolved within the church without government interference. Right. But what these lawsuits do is they bring in government pressure to bear and try to threaten you know, multi-million dollar penalties for dioceses or for religious ministries and really try to alter the the scope of the debate and the outcome of what really is a religious debate. And that's just fundamentally inconsistent with religious freedom. And so that's why the law needs to build sort of a, a margin of protection around religious organizations and say that the government, the court system, is not allowed to intrude on these deeply religious questions and these deeply important religious debates. Which is a challenge in this cancel culture, right? I mean, we see the minute you say something somebody doesn't like, you know, they try to erase you. And, you know, I, let's be honest. I mean, to think that these are just individuals doing this, there is, you know, there are corporations there, you know, the LBGTQ lobby. I mean, there are some big money and some big people that are kind of forcing the issues on a lot of these cases. Uh, just think of, you know, Jack the Cake Bakers. Now, I just read the other day is being sued for the third time. Yeah, there's, you know, in, in some ways, they just won't won't let people rest. And we're, we're also seeing this in the university setting as well. It's, a, it's another big problem area. And we're representing a number of different uh, religious student groups on state university campuses. Uh, where the university will uh, de-recognize and de-platform a religious student group simply because it expects its leaders to adhere to its core religious beliefs. Uh, so we're, we've uh, done this on the University of Iowa campus, been in litigation for a number of years. And the University of Iowa, it would recognize a religious student group that was pro-same-sex marriage, uh, and yet it shut down a student group that held to uh, a traditional view of marriage. Uh, and so, you know, we brought that in, uh, that lawsuit in court and fortunately got a good ruling, uh, but a lot of universities, you know, it, it's hard to catch them all. And a lot of universities have just created a, a climate where it's very difficult to form 
even just small student groups around core traditional religious practices. Well, and when you look at today, I mean, there's no doubt that this is an organized effort. I mean, you have mass media, you have social media, you have, you know, Fortune 500 companies. You you just mentioned the university setting, entertainment industry, and even the government now, right? You got, you know, a health and human services director, Becerra, who, you know, sues anybody who looks, you know, cross-eyed at him and something that he doesn't like. So, you're really, I mean, you you are really, I don't know, I don't want to say you're David going against Goliath, but, you know, you're standing for truth in a world that doesn't like the truth, does it? It's it's really a new position in many ways that Catholics are finding ourselves in, you know, where, you know, these traditional Catholic practices, which were so un- uncontroversial for so long, have now, you know, made Catholics enemies in some circles in modern yeah. culture. Uh, and, you know, I, I recently uh, published a book on this topic. It's called Free to Believe, The Battle Over Religious Liberty in America, uh, and really just addressing, like, why does religious freedom matter? How is it threatened today? And then what can we do about it? And I think a lot of, the, a, a lot of what we can do about it goes to you know, realizing it, it's kind of a changed mindset. Uh, we, many of us are used to kind of being on the same side as the dominant culture in many ways, and we're having to get used to what it means to be, uh, in many ways, uh, loathed or despised by culture. But fortunately, uh, Scripture has a lot to say about that, and the church has a lot to say about that. Uh, how to, you know, how to love our enemies, how to rejoice in the midst of hardship, uh, and how to be, you know, really. Uh, beacons of of joy even in the midst of hardship and so i think a lot of times we sort of react to hostility with a sort of defensive crouch sometimes with anger that our rights are being taken away uh, and it's you know it's right to be uh, angry about injustice but we're also called to to have a joyful uh, posture in the midst of it and a lot of these conflicts really give uh, religious believers an opportunity to offer a better way to the culture. I mean, think of these uh, law. Think of the lawsuit over gender transition procedures. Um, a lot of these procedures, you know, the evidence shows they're they're profound harms from trying to alter one's body to live as a different uh, as a different gender. And so, you know, to have religious doctors and hospitals who can stand up and say, "Look, we're not just going to follow the culture here. Uh, we have a." an understanding of what it means to be a human person. And we are able to, to respond to, to human needs in a way that actually lead to human flourishing rather than, than human destruction. I think that's really a good point um, because, you know, you read scripture all the time you hear, but you know, then when it becomes reality, you're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. I mean, Jesus said, know that if they hate you, they hated me first. Right. And I think to your point, you know, we need to be praying for these individuals who don't agree with us. We need to be able to articulate, you know, the, the the moral foundational issues that people need to hear, because in the end, truth really resonates with people and the lies lead you nowhere. And I think what you guys are doing is so important to bring this up into the public, because, you know, without you uh, and groups like yourself, who would defend anybody? You'd be you'd be uh, dead in the water, wouldn't you? I think there's so much uh, there's so much fear around these issues as the culture changes, 
And, you know, there are injustices, there are very real threats. Uh, But as I talk about in my book, Free to Believe, you know, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And, you know, no doubt we are having some trouble. Uh, But in the very next breath, he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. And so, you know, as, as Christians facing these types of changes in society and facing these types of threats to religious freedom, I think it's just very important not to respond in fear. Uh, and we have very good reasons for optimism. I mean, there, there are practical reasons. Uh, you know, the Beckett Fund, or last quarter century, we have a 90% win rate across all of our cases. We are undefeated at the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, and in the last decade at the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, 17 of 18 religious freedom cases have been wins for religious freedom. And the majority of those have been by more than a five to four margin. Uh, so there's, you know, there's plenty of practical reason for optimism. Uh, but ultimately, as, as Christians, you know, our hope doesn't depend on the outcome of a Supreme Court case or of the, the next election. We need to remind ourselves that our hope ultimately comes from faith in Jesus Christ, who has conquered Satan, sin, and death. And so no matter what happens, no matter what threats we may face, uh, even if some of our wins in court turn to losses, uh, we still have hope and we can still rest in the completed victory of Christ. And that's the kind of mindset we need to bring to bear to these religious freedom conflicts. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's really a good point. And it's a reminder, you know, the victory was won at the cross. And and we shouldn't be ashamed. We shouldn't be worried. Um, again, but it, we do need people like yourself and and Beckett to to help us in a world. We just can't lay over, lay down, like you said. Um, you know, we're down to you know, you know, about thirty, forty seconds. You mentioned your book, Free to Believe. How can people find your book? Because it's important to be able to understand the assault on religious freedom and how to deal with it. And then, how can people follow uh, what's going on at Beckett? Thanks for asking. You can find my book, Free to Believe, on Amazon. At least it hasn't been canceled yet or wherever (laughs) books are sold. Uh, And you can follow the work of the Beckett Fund at beckettlaw.org. And as I mentioned, any day we're going to get a Supreme Court decision in that uh, Fulton versus City of Philadelphia case. And really, if you just want to keep up to speed on what are the hottest issues in religious freedom, what are the big cases today, uh, BeckettLaw.org, and you can also find us on on Twitter and Facebook or whatever social media you prefer. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at RespectLifeRadio.com.